Hello there, podcast fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Lit and Lucid Podcast Show. This week, we hit episode 21 with Rachel Ardenoy of RZA Legal. Rachel is an attorney in the cannabis space, and this week we're going to touch on the intricacies of cannabis law and all the wonderful things that go with it. Welcome, everybody, to episode 21 of the Lit and Lucid podcast. We're here recording live in Congress Park in Denver, Colorado, with Rachel Ardenoy with RZA Legal. What's up, Rachel? Hey, Lit and Lucid. Excited. How's it going? (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much for meeting with us today. We're super excited about your conversation. Me too. My pleasure. All right. Well, for a little bit, a little bit about Rachel, she graduated from Florida State with a bachelor's degree in business management and real estate back in 2007. And then after that, she managed a corporate restaurant and worked in real estate for a while and realized that her passion was in law. So she went uh, back to school for law, uh, her law degree in 2012. And after that, she practiced law for a couple of years in Florida, and then she decided to visit the state of Colorado with her husband. And it was at that time that they decided to make the move to Colorado. Back in 2015, she moved out to Colorado with her husband, and she started working of counsel for Lauren C. Davis. She's another cannabis attorney here in Denver, Colorado as well. So you worked for her until about 2017. And she was helping clients in that uh, field, uh, navigating the regulatory framework in the Colorado marijuana industry. We all know that it's ever changing, so it's very important to have good legal counsel and solid legal advice on your side. And then a couple months ago, back in January, she decided to start her own business, RZA Legal, where she is of counsel uh, with herself here in Denver, Colorado. And she's specializing in marijuana licensing, zoning requirements, uh, marijuana product packaging requirements, regulatory compliance, and many other things that she can help you with. Uh, So we're excited to have an attorney here on our show today. We've never had legal counsel, so this is going to be an exciting conversation. Yeah. Cool. All right, so a uh, big topic. Uh, we've never really dived into this topic before, so I think we'll kind of just start with an intro. You can kind of explain your background and why you got into cannabis, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, you covered quite a bit of it. Um, I've always been a proponent of marijuana legalization. I was a member of Normal back starting my freshman year of college in 2003 in, back at Florida State and have been um, involved ever since. Uh, you know, when you go to law school, you kind of uh, start to live under a rock for a few years. So I did that and, uh, you know, cut my teeth going to uh, court a bunch, doing some family law cases and probate back in Jacksonville, Florida. And, you know, marijuana, again, marijuana legalization was always a passion of mine, but not something I pursued professionally back in Florida simply because they had no legal program. The only way to get involved with marijuana law was to do criminal defense. Mm -hmm. And so, yep, and so, uh, like you said, my husband and I visited out here a few times. We had some friends. My aunt was um, working at DU Law for a few years, and we visited her. We really fell in love with it out here. It's a pretty progressive town and just beautiful nature. We were just sort of sick of the South. So I took the bar exam for Colorado while I was still practicing law in Florida. Took that in 2014. My husband graduated school and we packed up and left and moved out here in 2015. So um, through complete serendipity, I met Lauren Davis and she offered me a position to be of counsel with her firm. So 
I established my firm back in 2015, but worked exclusively with her firm since oh, cool. from 2015 to 2017. And then um, my family grew. I had a baby at the end of 2016 and um, realized that I needed some more flexibility uh, with over my career. And so uh, broke off the relationship with that firm and went solo starting in January. Cool. And so currently I only represent um, licensed marijuana businesses, hemp businesses, um, some CBD companies, and uh, companies of that nature. Uh, back when I worked with Lauren, I also did some criminal defense. I don't really do any criminal defense anymore. So just strictly doing business law and focusing on um, providing estate planning as well for people who own marijuana businesses. I think that's something that people forget about. So, you know, a lot of people in the industry are pretty young. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them have young kids. And perhaps in the past, they didn't have a lot of things and assets to plan and have a, where it be, you know, be concerned and have a will about. Mm -hmm. And so since that's my history back in Florida, I really wanted to bring that into my current practice. So one thing I'm trying to provide for my clients and other people in the industry too is, you know, maybe now's the time to get a living will, to get a will, to get things in place because if something were to happen, you have a lot of really unique assets that a typical, you know, trust and estates lawyer isn't really gonna know how to handle because mm -hmm. as everyone knows who has a badge or, or who, especially a red badge, you know, there's a lot of requirements that you are responsible for, and if your will leaves everything to your two- and four-year-old kid, that's not going to work out for your business. So that's a big thing that I like to stress to my clients, too. You know, once we get their business up and operational and successful and harvesting and, you know, going gangbusters, now's the time to think about how to plan all that um, all that extra money you have laying around <laughs> to make sure it doesn't all just go up in smoke right. if you pass away or if and when you pass away. Right. So that is something cool you brought from your background. That's awesome. So that's one of the questions I had here. Um, you started off your education in business and real estate, and then you transferred it obviously into law. So how does having that background in business and real estate really kind of help you nowadays, and how else do you apply that background today? That's a great question. I apply those things that I learned back in undergrad every single day. In fact, today I was just working on a real estate contract for a MIP that's purchasing their space. So it, it comes up every day, you know, when I moved out here and I started practicing marijuana law, I would think to myself, wow, cool, marijuana law, but it's not just one thing. Oh, <laughs> it's no. not just one thing, there's so much involved. There's a real estate, like you mentioned, zoning, there's, you know, real estate purchase, commercial leases, you know, in order to get a marijuana business license, just to make the application to the Marijuana Enforcement Division, you have to have a lease or a deed in hand that shows that you have access to the property the day you apply, wow. before you even before they even consider giving you a license. And so, um, you know, that is a big piece of the, the getting started before yeah. you can even mm -hmm. get your licenses. So um, I think it's really helpful to have the business background and the real estate background because in Colorado, you know, the real estate piece is really the first step because as a lot of your listeners probably know, you know, some towns don't allow it. Some towns, they were allowed to opt out under Amendment 64 to say, we're not going to let dispensaries or grows or MIPS mm -hmm. in here. Mm -hmm. And so the first step is, you know, because Colorado is a dual licensed state, you have to have a license from the state and from the local government in order to operate. First step is finding a local government that'll let you operate. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, that's kind of one of the preliminary homework pieces that my clients have to, you know, tackle and that I'm happy to help them with in terms of identifying and 
appropriate piece of property for what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Like zoning issues as well? Zoning issues, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some counties um, that are really rural require minimum land area. So like in Uray County, um, Sawatch is about to pass this. You have to have at least, I want to say, 35 acres. Um, It's not the case in a lot of places, but some counties do require that. Um, All, almost all counties require distance requirements from like daycares Mm -hmm. and things like that. So the zoning is a really big piece um, to the puzzle. You know, some local areas uh, seem to be really friendly to marijuana businesses, but then when you look at all of those land use requirements, it's like, oh wait, there's literally (laughs) nowhere, (laughs) there's no physical place to do it. (laughs) Right, right. So, you know, that's kind of something that we run into. Unfortunately, you know, I can't keep a running list of these things because the counties and towns change all the time. Uh, You know, all of it's changing all the time. So, um, but it's definitely something I help my clients with in terms of researching, finding the right spot, you know, getting that real estate locked in at a good rate that's, you know, you know, beneficial to them and, you know, protects everybody's interests. And then we move on to getting their business structure set up, whether it's an LLC or a corporation, um, you know, guide them on how you can get financing. Colorado is really tight on how they'll allow these companies to be financed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, this past legislative session, uh, Colorado legislature passed a law that would allow publicly traded companies, the governor vetoed that. So um, in Colorado, because of the banking issue with marijuana companies, how banks are regulated by the federal government and marijuana as of today is a Schedule One drug, um, banks will not openly uh, bank, you know, provide financial services for marijuana companies, very, very limited ones. And so a lot of marijuana companies have to rely on private investors. And then there's a lot of rules around who can provide what and how much and their backgrounds and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. that's really what I focus on a lot of, you know, in the setup phase as well. So we get the real estate, we get the financing going, we get their business set up, we apply for the licenses at that point. And then, you know, once those licenses get issued, that's when, you know, building and inspections and you know, it's definitely not for the faint of heart getting into this industry. (laughs) Um, But I have found that everyone in this industry that I've worked with is solution oriented. They don't take no for an answer. And everyone that I've encountered has true, absolutely true grit. So I'm always in awe of the brilliant ideas that are coming out of this industry every day. You know, the the excellent, um, you know, sort of business structures that I'm seeing, the creative ways of doing things. And, and just, uh, again, just that solution-oriented, go-get-it attitude. Mm-hmm. And so I think that uh, I sort of drive with that because I, in my law practice, am very solution-oriented for my clients. And I try to, you know, find an answer and not necessarily try to kill their deals. It's like, well, yeah, we have to comply with the regulations. We have to be ethical. I have to be, you know, I have to follow my ethical guidelines as a lawyer. But we, there's a way. I think there's a way to find solutions mm-hmm. to to all the problems that this industry and the varying legal, you know, quagmires <laughs> that exist. You know, Throw there's a way to you. get through it. Exactly. Yeah. I think cool. it makes it interesting because um, I mean I've worked around so many businesses now, um, being in the industry, and you always hear different viewpoints from lawyers, and and that's like the biggest stigma. Or, you know, the thing I see with lawyers nowadays, there's owners that are like see lawyers as a hindrance to the business because they're like over-regulating and don't do that, don't do that, slap your hand, 
Um, and there's other ones that are like, you know, I'm just going to stay out of the way. If you need me, you call me. Um, I think there's a fine balance between both of those, I think. And that's where, you know, do you want to touch on that? And, you know, what is... What do you look for when you, you, you're sourcing a client? What's the ideal client to you? And what do you want that culture and that kind of relationship to look like? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, my ideal client would be somebody who, or, you know, folks who kind of have a business plan, want to get into the industry, and, you know, we get it going from the ground up. There's, so there's a few ways to get into the industry, right? People can start from the ground up, start with getting those initial licenses. People also buy licenses that already exist. Um, so in, in any event, you know, I, I just want, I would, I would want my clients to have the same value as I do, which is let's just get it done right the first time and not be penny wise and pound foolish. You know, a lot of times when I'm preparing like renewal applications for a client or something for their licenses, you know, I see the person at the window next to me at the enforcement division and they got papers flying and they're missing something <laughs> and something's not notarized. And I feel for the owners, because it looks like a lot of times owners probably have like their assistants or an employee or somebody preparing that paperwork for them, and sometimes they have to go back three, four times because they don't necessarily get it right every time. And by the time you've done that, you've probably paid your assistant more than right. you would have paid a lawyer who does it every day yeah. to get it right the first right. time. So um, Not to mention the time wasted. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, because whatever employee they have doing it is pulled away from whatever they're supposed mm -hmm. to be doing at the store, right? So, so yeah, I mean, I would, I think, say that my ideal client is someone who um, recognizes the value of having a professional in their corner. You know, I kind of see myself as just like you said in, in my uh, introduction, like I sort of help you navigate the system. Yeah. And because I do this every day, you know, you don't have, there's a lot of stress that comes with trying to figure things out, especially when things are constantly changing like they are here. So I try to like take that stress away from my clients and say, you know, add me to your team, treat me as if I'm a member of the team. And I'm, again, I'm not coming in on, on payroll or anything like that. I'm still an outside counsel, but if you treat me as someone um, who's part of your team, you know, then it's going to be more seamless to get where you want to go. Because yeah. um, your end goal, I mean, is always to obviously have them be compliant, have them be taken care of and be on the right track to success. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of clients I represent just on a transactional basis. So if someone's buying a business, I'm representing them to buy it or whatever, or representing the seller or... You know, oh, we need a licensing contract done to get our brand across state lines. Sometimes I get the project done and that's it. Other times I represent clients on an ongoing basis. And I think that is beneficial for both of us because, number one, I can sort of help them, you know, help keep track of certain things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm emailing them about their, you know, renewals and other mm -hmm. things that may come up or, you know, um, rule changes that would affect their business operations. And then they know that they have somebody to call when there's a you know a rule change like you know for instance recently the packaging and labeling rules really right. changed and caused a lot of consternation going on in the industry, mm -hmm. and you know my clients who keep me on on you know retainer were able to just pick up the phone and say, what the hell what's going right. on is this right is this right can we do it this way right. so, I think again it sort of goes back to the don't be penny wise pound foolish thing it's like well I can spend you know a hundred bucks or a few hundred bucks talking to my lawyer before I spend a ton of money on the next big thing and make sure that I've done it right or, you know, potentially get burned. So 
It's kind of like an insurance policy, yeah. honestly. Yeah. It takes a bunch of question out of it. I mean, that's half of the stress. Like, you know, the researching things and trying to understand what these laws and regulations say and, like, trying to figure it out. And, like, you might as well just call your attorney and they could probably figure it out for you a lot easier. Right. Okay. It's, t- already it's tough. Yeah, they already know. Yeah. Right, it's tough. <laughs> It's kind of like what I tell my clients, like, if I, I, you know, let's just stay in our lanes, you know, I'll do the paperwork and I'll help you with the, with the compliance and help you understand these regulations if you have a question mm-hmm. and you grow the weed. <laughs> and when we say, when we start like getting into each other's lanes, it's not going to work. Like, right. You don't want me growing the weed. I don't want, I don't want you doing the paperwork. That's perfect. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of things that are kind of behind the scenes with the cannabis industry that a lot, a lot, a lot of people know about that have to go on. Um, one of those things we touched on pre-show was trademarking. And somebody say if they started in Colorado and they had a wonderful brand and they want to take it to California and either start growing uh, marijuana or producing you know a chocolate bar or something, it's not as easy as just jumping in a car, driving to California, finding a place to land and, and sell some chocolate. A little more difficult than that. Right. Do you want to kind of walk us through the uh, the intricacies and, and kind of the general process of licensing, trademarking, what you can can't do in the cannabis industry yet, and how that goes? Sure. So. Until we get some relief at the federal level, we only have state laws to guide us. And so because it's federal, federally illegal, marijuana is, we can't cross state lines with marijuana products. So the way that a Colorado company can get their brand in dispensaries in California or Washington or Oregon or Vegas or wherever is through licensing agreements. And that's where they're basically getting into a relationship with a, dis- a dis- well, not a dispensary, but well, perhaps a dispensary, but a licensed marijuana business in that state and entering into an agreement that says you're going to produce my product based on my recipes, you know, and with all of my marketing and in exchange will, you know, you'll pay us a certain amount of money for that. And so I do a fair amount of that for Colorado clients and, um, you know, it, like you touched on with the trademark piece, currently under our trademark laws, because trademark is a federal, mm-hmm. under the federal laws, um, a marijuana c- company cannot get a trademark for their marijuana brand specifically for the pro- the, anything with marijuana in it. So what we see marijuana companies doing in order to protect their intellectual property is kind of nibbling around the edges. So they'll get a trademark for hats and shirts or for smokers articles you know, grinders or whatever, or for uh, educational materials, or like they'll have a side consulting business and register it for the consulting type of business, something like that, because you can't actually trademark the name of the marijuana product. So at least at the federal level. So what people do is, you know, here in Colorado, we're lucky you can register a trademark um, for marijuana products in Colorado that'll at least protect you in the state. And so again, um, having some really tight contracts set up between yourself and the com- you know a marijuana company in another state that's going to be producing your products making sure that your you know trade secrets are protected that your recipes are protected your standard operating procedures that all these contracts are in compliance with the law and what the regulations say um, that's why it's really important to have a, not just a business attorney but a cannabis business attorney because we know the additional regulations that the marijuana licensing uh, authorities put out there and not just any other business. And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that I encounter with clients is, you know, if I get a client who comes in and they're very successful in business, but it's in another business, right, in the food industry or in the drug industry or some other thing, 
a lot of the things that have brought them to that success may or may not work in this industry. And that's hard to tell someone who has experienced success, success through hard work in typical business, it's hard to explain that to them because it's we're just playing by a different rule book. And so, you know, so a typical trademark lawyer as well may not understand the marijuana piece or they may not understand that nibbling around the edges, you Mm -hmm. know, concept of, well, we can still protect your brand just sort of like in roundabout ways because right now, you know, we have to be creative. Everyone Mm -hmm. in this industry has to be creative. So, you know, there are companies out there that specifically focus on IP, um, marijuana IP. Um, I don't focus on registration of marks like that, but I have a great network of other cannabis attorneys around the country who do, and so, you know, I always try to hook my clients up with uh, those folks because, again, like, we can protect it here in Colorado, I'll register here in Colorado, we'll prepare licensing agreements to get you in those other markets, but, um, you know, those, those agreements have to be really tight, include a lot of, you know, protection against infringement, stuff like that. So that way the brand's protected, you know, they're not making some subpar product and putting your name on it. You know, there's a lot of ways because these brands are becoming valuable and Mm -hmm. I really look forward to the day that the federal government catches on and uh, these folks can really go into the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just a big deal today in Canada that Constellation Brands just invested $4 billion. I saw that. I saw that in alcohol, um, which is interesting because... I think in Canada you cannot actually infuse alcohol, but they'll figure out a way to yeah. uh, have some weed beer. I'm sure. It's a nice, well, it's a good little footprint and a foot the door for an alcohol company recognizing the legitimacy of the cannabis industry. I think so. Absolutely, it's I all mean, coming around. yeah. My goal, my I mean, I dedicate my career to this industry, and so my goal is to normalize it like any other industry. You know, everyone else gets to have legal counsel and protect them and draft their documents. Mm And the marijuana industry needs to become normalized and treated just like any other industry. And that means having solid contracts, you know. We're pretty lucky, Colorado. Um, We have a law out there that says that contracts can't be void just because marijuana is the subject of them. You know, in every other state, I I, I can't really say for other states, but um, especially pre-marijuana legalization, you know, you can't have a contract about illegal right. uh, subject matter. That's totally an illegal contract. No court would ever enforce that. Mm-hmm. But in Colorado, we're really lucky that the courts, that, you know, from the top down, they've at least given us some guidance. And that includes attorneys, too. Um, you know, our we have very high ethical standards, um, or else we can get our law licenses taken away. And the Supreme Court said, you know, we want you, we want marijuana to, the industry to have legal counsel. We don't want just the regulators to have the, you know, the lawyers on their side. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to give you a few rules such as, you know, constantly reminding people it's illegal under federal law <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, we have to comply strictly with state laws. But, you know, we're pretty lucky here in Colorado in that regard. So one of my biggest questions that's been racking my brain this whole time is, so like, how did you get educated in cannabis law? So I know like DU has a couple of classes, but like, can you go get your law degree, especially in cannabis Apparently law now, or what? Good question. Apparently now you can, yeah. but um, no, there wasn't any cannabis law classes. It was really on the job training. Right. So, you know, when I worked for Lauren, it was a lot of on the job training and a lot of sitting in on consultations and researching the laws and, you know, going to the regulators and sort of realizing, though, that we're all figuring this out at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, including the regulators. So, you know, I 
since embarking on uh, my solo career since January, I've realized that you know there really are very few uh, attorneys willing to work with the industry, and I want to change that because I want to be. A, it's a small industry, and mm -hmm. so there's a lot of conflicts all the time. It's like, oh well, I already worked with them, so I need a new lawyer. Mm -hmm. Well, there aren't very many to refer there's to. Only a couple. Yeah, so I actually just ran a webinar myself um, called I Yeah it Cannabis awesome. Law Basics for lawyers to teach lawyers and law students how to break into the industry. And so, I mean, yeah, I think the folks who have these uh, access to cannabis law classes in law school definitely um, are getting a leg up. Uh, it's super helpful. It would have been super helpful for me too. Right. But as with any practice, um, and, pro and really with not just law, but any other job, I mean, how do people figure out how to grow weed. <laughs> there's no weed school. Yep. I mean, maybe there are now. I'm sure there's a few out there, but a lot of folks either knew it because they were doing that behavior before it was legal, mm -hmm. or they're just sort of learning on the job at a grow facility once they got their badge. Mm -hmm. So I think we're all sort of figuring this out. And that's one thing I try to encourage other lawyers about is to say, listen, no one's been doing this for 25 years. Okay. You know, it's it's a pretty new industry. Mm -hmm. And so as long as you're not just being reckless and just sort of going out and doing it without ha doing the proper research, mm -hmm. you know, invest in yourself. There are some classes out there. There are some webinars out there. Mm -hmm. And really just um, anyone in that's ever gone to law school has probably heard uh, RTFC, which is read the effing code. <laughs> like, you just got to sit down and read the laws and, you know, read all the regulations and uh, do your best. So... You know, that's how, what I would recommend. And yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of the, the newer law students who were right. able to sign up for a cannabis law class. That sounds like such a cool class. Like um, those ones at DU sound so nice. I'm like, okay. It's so true. Yeah. Not just the law school, but I think even their at business under school. their business yeah. school, I actually attended one of their, um, they did a pitch class recently and, uh, or a pitch contest. Um, for new ideas for the cannabis industry. It's like, man, even these college students are so coming up cool. with excellent ideas yeah. Yeah, to, to grow the industry. Yeah. Well, I bet that's inspiring because you get to also be around entrepreneurs all day, you know, people coming up with new ideas and you helping them through the business path. Yeah, it's just amazing, you know, and it gives me a lot of encouragement to continue doing what I'm doing because as a lawyer, again, like there's no real good path to becoming a cannabis lawyer other than mm -hmm. just doing it, serving the cannabis community's needs, et cetera. And so as an entrepreneur myself, I see the struggles that, you know, these marijuana businesses are facing and um, can absolutely empathize with them. So what would be some good tips that you have for other entrepreneurs or people looking to be cannabis attorneys? What are some good tips and tricks? That is a great question. Um, tips and tricks. Number one, go listen to my webinar. <laughs> Number two. Cannabis Law Basics for Lawyers. Yeah. What's the website? Uh, I'll have to put it out there. Kay. It's on coursecraft.net. But um, No, it looked interesting. I saw it on your website. Oh, like, thanks. This is cool. And we were just talking about webinars before, about how effective they are. Yeah, they really are. It's, good. it's a good form of getting information across to people. Um, you know, f advice for other cannabis lawyers, you know, uh, just try to immerse yourself as much as possible, you know, become a member of a trade organiz organization, you know, I'm a member of National Cannabis Industry Association, there is a National Cannabis Bar Association um, that is all That's lawyers, cool. um, right, and it's growing and it's um, helpful, I'm a member of that as well, and, uh, you know, you can't really expect anyone to do it for you in this industry, right? We all, this is one of the only industries on earth where we have to not only promote our business, 
but we have to advocate for the industry as a whole to even be in existence, right? Absolutely, Absolutely. Yeah. every day. Yeah, every day, and I'm, I'm right there with you in terms, you know, I'm on the normal legal committee, I, you know, instead of just complaining about how wonky the med, the med marijuana enforcement division rules can be, I applied to be on their rulemaking committee, and I was, I was luckily able to participate in that, so it's like, well, hey, if you you know, want to support this industry, if you want the regulations to make sense, if you, you know, we have to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, lobbying, going on lobby days with NCIA, you know, I was up at the state capitol this past session lobbying with Denver Normal to try to get them to pass some legislation that would help marijuana consumers in the employment arena. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's rough because, like, we don't have the the benefit of the industry already being established, we're establishing it as we go. So, um, you know, just sort of immersing, immersing yourself into the industry. There's a ton of like meetup groups I know, like cannabis industry stuff. So just getting your name out there, doing a lot of networking, you know, for the marijuana business or attorneys, not just business attorneys, but any sort of uh, attorney who wants to get into um, cannabis law, you know, it touches on everything. We talked about that earlier, like, oh, I thought it was just marijuana law. No, it touches on so many things, estate planning, you know, real estate, business, you know, financing, health law, public benefits law, you know, bankruptcy, all kinds of things. So, you know, I would say just sort of try to pick up as much as you can, especially in states where they have brand new programs, you know, figuring all of that out, you know, going to public comments, making public comments on the rules because it's new for everyone. So it's not like the regulators know what's up and right. we're trying to catch up. Like we're all on the same level when it comes to sort of figuring it all out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you probably still have some other lawyer friends that are probably not in the cannabis industry and you kind of touched on it in your earlier that the only way to be in, you know, cannabis related fields with being a lawyer was criminal defense at some point. Right. So how does that, you know, how do other lawyers in other industries still, you know, view you or view the profession? Is it coming around or? Yeah, I definitely think it is coming around. I mean, it's, well, I should say it depends on who you ask. (laughs) You know, part of the webinar, we talked about criminal defense. And, you know, I was trying to give advice for practitioners in each area of law, how they can sort of pivot or at least say that they're working on cannabis as well. And so, for instance, when it comes to criminal defense, you know, we run into, even in Colorado, where it's been legal for quite some time now, you know, we run into judges and state state attorneys, district attorneys, who, um, you know, they don't deal with marijuana every day. They're dealing with all kinds of criminal infractions, you know. So it's not like there's like a marijuana court where just one judge hears all the marijuana cases, you know. They hear all kinds of criminal cases. And so a lot of times they just need the education because they haven't been able to, you know, catch up on what, how the marijuana law affects changes. And, you know, unfortunately we have some, you know, folks who are, have been on the bench a very long time and they're sort of, you know, have ideas about the way things are and things have changed and they continue to change. So, you know, that certainly is a challenge. I think, you know, the people, my contemporaries, and I've been an attorney for six years, um, and I'd say people even who've been, you know, been practicing for 10, 15 years, all of us have come up under an age of prohibition, Mm -hmm. right? Only if you've been practicing for like less than, what, four years or something like that in Colorado, Mm -hmm. has it been a legal thing? Mm -hmm. And so we've all had to change our perspectives on what all of this is. I mean, literally everyone over the age of, what, four years old has lived under an age of prohibition at at some level. Mm -hmm. If you've been in Colorado and if you're around the country, a lot of times you still do, right? 
And so it's a big mind shift. Um, and that's, I think, one of the difficulties that we have in, you know, the plight of getting this in, to become a normal industry like anything else, you know. Do I think we're going to see, you know, marijuana products at, like, drugstores one day? Yeah, I really, I really do. But I think it's going to take a while until we get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of other lawyers, it's very um, encouraging to see other lawyers who are interested in the field and um, sharing, just sharing with them how, you know, almost anyone you talk to, you guys talk to so many people, and almost everyone has a story about how marijuana has affected them, whether it's personal, a family member, a friend, whether it was positive, you know, I made a million dollars, negative, I got arrested, you know, all kinds of stories. Somebody has been impacted by marijuana, every single person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if we can sort of learn from all of those, move forward, see how things can get better, and, and that's across the country, then I think that we're moving in the right direction. And I'm, I'm very um, encouraged by the attorneys who are interested in getting into cannabis. Um, and again, not just maybe doing what I do, which is representing companies that touch the plant and their ancillary, you know, their vendors and stuff, but people who, you know, practice in family law and are willing to make an argument to a judge and right. say, right. hey, yeah. this is a normal thing. Absolutely. This is not something that someone should get their kids taken yeah. away for. You know, that's we, a big issue. It is, yeah. you know, we still have, we, we still confront these issues in Colorado too. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a process everywhere around the country, but, you know. Um, that's definitely something a family attorney should be educated in is cannabis laws. I feel yeah. like that has to be coming up a lot. It does. Yeah. I get calls from um, family attorneys who I'm, you know, colleagues with here uh, in Colorado and back in Florida where, you know, if, if a marijuana related issue comes up, they want to call me and we chat about yeah. how it might impact their case. Um, you know, because the law deals with precedent and, you know, the law always looks back yeah. at what decisions were already made, it, made, you know, we're up against that. Yeah. And there's a whole, you know, body of case law out there that, can, that refers to marijuana as illegal because it was illegal for so long. So, you know, the law is going to, it's going to take a while for the law, those aspects of the law to change. Um, but I'm encouraged. I really am. I think that, you know. People are, new lawyers are coming out every day, you know, more interested in being progressive and, you know, again, just marching toward normalizing the industry. Yeah. yeah. That's sure. awesome. You're a big part of that too, so I you got to pat yourself on the back yeah. for that. Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks. So maybe you can give us maybe a personal story, like why did you choose cannabis? Are you a cannabis consumer? Like what is your backstory? Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, one of the first things I did when I went to FSU back in 2003, I went to a Normal meeting, and Keith Stroop, founder of Normal, um, was speaking there, and I was just so moved. Uh, you know, he's been doing this since 1970, mm -hmm. the year that it became, um, you know, a Schedule One drug, and it's got to be amazing to be Keith because he's, you know, he's still around, still rocking Normal, and has gotten to see really the fruits of his labor. Um, you know, it, and, and we're not, by no means are we, you know, there yet, but so many substantial changes have been made in the law with regard to marijuana. So that was really moving to me. You know, I always knew since I was like a kid, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. My aunt's a lawyer and I just thought that was really cool. And so I just, I was always an argumentative kid and sort of stubborn. And so I was like, I really want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer for all different reasons, you know, I, like, I, like we talked about, you know, my undergrad, I was a business and real estate person, um, I 
graduated in 07. That was around the time the bubble burst and the foreclosure crisis happened. And so I was like, well, I can either go real estate or business. Didn't go real estate. So I managed a corporate business for a while, a uh, corporate restaurant. I still got a, mar- or a uh, real estate sales associate license, but didn't really do much because everything was in foreclosure in Florida yeah. in 2007. And so, um, you know, I went the business route. And then when I went to law school, I, I actually didn't think I was going to be a business lawyer. Um, I thought that I was going to do mostly estate planning and elder law, which I did do back in Florida. And I really felt good about that because people always, whenever we'd finish their wills and stuff, everyone would just sort of sigh relief and like, oh, I finally got that off my plate. Like, I feel like I, it's done. Yeah. And, you know, it was not a lot of fighting when it came to that. I can't really say the same for family law, which is what I did as well in Florida. And so when I moved here, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'll flip burgers and babysit before I do another divorce case. <laughs> I was just sort of overdoing the family law, but I still want to do estate planning. And, but I kept my, I totally kept my, my mind open as to what I would do here. And again, like I said, I very serendipitously met a cannabis attorney and I thought, you know, I've always been interested in this since like 2003 like when I went to college. Circle. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, you know, 11 years later from my so first cool. normal meeting, and I was like, pinch me, like, that's great. am I, a, and I still do, you know, I've been a cannabis lawyer for over three years, I've been a lawyer for over six years, and I'm like, pinch me, I can't believe I'm writing contracts about marijuana, it's amazing. <laughs> and, I, and again, it, it sort of comes full circle to, you know, with the estate planning clients, they felt really relieved after I would help them, and I think that a lot of my clients now feel really relieved after the work oh, that we do. Yeah, because they, again, it's like a lot of stress with like the laws and regulations changing so rapidly um, that it's like you can't focus on building a really good business if you're like stuck with all the regulations. Mm-hmm. So that's where I try to come in and help take some of that burden off. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely needed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's like absolutely. so much we could talk about. We could go on forever with marijuana law because it just touches on so many things and there's so much happening in the industry. Um, well, it changes so rapidly too that, yeah. you know, I just seen the packaging you do that too, that's changing almost once or twice a year, I feel like, so. Yeah. That keeps you busy alone, I feel like. It does, it certainly <laughs> does. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of these rules and regulations and laws are passed without any input necessarily from, you know, how it's gonna practically affect businesses. Right. And then the businesses are working so hard to keep up with the regulations that when they change, it's like, you know, we couldn't really prepare or we didn't prepare so far in advance. So I try to help my clients when these changes do come down to say, this is what's coming down the pipeline. Um, you know, but it, it is a challenge. Um, luckily again, though, we have some scrappy people in this industry who won't take no for an answer and they're used to figuring it out. So <laughs> I'm here to help them figure it out with them. Cool. Well, I'm sure they appreciate having you, and I know I appreciate having you help push the industry forward and kind of being a stable part of, of its growth and its foundation. So, Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for chatting with us. I think this is a very interesting topic that not very many of our listeners are aware of or, like, understand. So it's good to kind of get all these backbones that comes in a part with, you know, starting a business here in Colorado. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing for that and having uh, coming onto our show. Yeah, I appreciate what you guys are doing, getting the word out. Um, you know, it's a really good resource for the cannabis community, so keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. All right, well, with that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it. Laters.
This episode of Lit and Lucid Podcast is produced in partnership with YooHoo Creative and Design. YooHoo Creative specializes in marketing, social media management, content creation, and other creative needs. YooHoo, helping your company become who you need to be. If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at yoohoocreative at gmail.com.